Amen. Whew, what a worship time. You know, the anointing, the Bible says, breaks the yoke of bondage. The anointing breaks down mindsets. It breaks down structures. It breaks down ways of doing things that are unhelpful in the kingdom. I loved, Cliff, your word last night, but not just what you spoke, but what you released. Thank you for releasing that over us. And everything that God's brought through so far this time has been just uh, amazing to see it build upon itself, because I feel like this is Australia's time. It's time for revival in our nation. It's time for revival. And the Lord says, let the hungry come. Let the thirsty come. Are you hungry for more of him? Are you thirsty? Are you willing to let those who are hungry and thirsty, who look different than you, come? Because he's bringing them. And if we're not willing to let them come and drink of him, they're going to go somewhere else. It's time for revival in our nation. We're a kingdom people, as we've heard already. And as we stay kingdom focused as a people, Jesus says he will build his church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Matthew 28, he tells us to go make disciples. But so often we get that backwards. We spend all our energy trying to build the church, and we expect Jesus to somehow magically make disciples, but he says, no, no, I'll build my church, you stay kingdom-focused, and you make disciples, and I'll build my church. But you know, he allows us to be part of the process. Isn't it amazing we get to partner with him in this process? But it's always been, and it always will be, his church built upon himself. Not upon a gift or a man or a woman or a ministry built upon Jesus. And Jesus says that while he's building the church, he commissions us to be those who go make disciples. I think one of the questions that we have to continually be asking is this. If Jesus is building his church, what does it look like? As a kingdom people who are pursuing his presence, a place that honors his presence, a place that can host his presence well, if he's building his church, what does it look like? Would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 14? If we're going to be the church that Jesus is building or that reflects who he is and carries his presence, then I, can I suggest that leadership matters? He's building the church, but leadership matters if we're going to carry his presence well, if we're going to reflect who he is, if we're going to become like him. The church that Jesus is building has God-ordained leadership that releases. We've heard already over the last couple of days about the priesthood of all believers. I was so stirred by, by David's stat that, you know, the, the, the 90%, uh, you know, those who are idle, uh, you know, we have to go back as we leave this time and go, how do we activate the 90%? How do we, how, how do we make sure it's not 10% running after Jesus and 90% sitting and watching? Church that Jesus is building has God-ordained leadership that releases. We've heard already this week, it's leadership that equips and releases the priesthood of all believers to be who God's called them to be and to do what he's called them to do. It's not to fill halls to get to, to support our, my ministry or our ministry so that we can do what God's called us to do. As leaders, 
Our mandate is to equip others and release them to do what God's called them to do. Acts 14 is this great picture of apostolic ministry. Before, before this, uh, Paul and Barnabas have been in Antioch. And then it says this from Acts 14 from verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to move and the gospel is being preached that many will believe but some will not believe. And there's opposition as we heard last night from Cliff. So they, uh, they said the Gentiles poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Thank you, Jesus. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. We the attempts were made for both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe, the cities of uh, Lysonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Before this time, Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, then they go to Lystra, another city, and, and the Lord, uh, you know, after this they go to Lystra, the Lord heals a crippled man who's crippled from birth. You know what happens when those sort of signs and wonders break out? The whole city was stirred up. We have to testify about what God's doing. But when people outside of our buildings are encountering the presence of God and the supernatural is being released, the city is stirred up. You see it in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit is poured out with power, the city is stirred up. Let's read on from uh, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and um, Iconium, where they had just been, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. That's not a great response the preaching of the gospel. How many of us, can we be honest, expect when we see signs and wonders and we preach the gospel to be stoned and left for dead? It's not ideal, but it happened. It's here. But when the disciples gathered about him, I love this, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby. It was like, they thought he was dead. Maybe he was dead. It doesn't say. They, they thought he was dead. They gathered around. He rose up and he went back into the city. He just carried on. I'm getting on with what God's called me to do. And they went to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples and returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. They went to a lot of places to preach the gospel. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. It's not a starting, it was a completing and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. In Titus 1 verse 5, Paul writes to Titus and he says this, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained 
in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about elders and deacons. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about equipping of the saints for works of ministry. For the church to be the church, according to the Bible, it needs elders, deacons, and saints. It's birth in the preaching of the gospel and signs and wonders. They went from city to city and they saw the supernatural released and many believed but some opposed them. And then they went to the next place and the next place. But, but when they came and they came back, they set in place elders. And then Paul writes to Timothy and says, set in place elders. It's right throughout the scripture. You can hang out with other believers. It's a good thing to encourage one another. But it's not the church until there's God-ordained elders, deacons, and saints. And can I say this? In the Bible, there is no self-appointed leaders. We see that a lot in the Western church. God's calling me to plant a church. It's more like, actually, I just don't, I don't get along with you anymore. There's a, there's a fence. So I'm going to go start my own church, and I'm going to ordain myself. We don't see that in the Scripture. There is no self-appointed elders in the Scripture, church leaders. In the Bible, leadership was recognized by others, and it was ordained through the laying on of hands of leaders from outside the immediate context, from Ephesians 14, with fasting and prayer. Don't you dare release leadership without fasting and prayer. Leadership is important. If we're going to host the presence of God, we're going to be who he's called us to be. How we approach leadership in the, in the church determines the culture of the church. Determines whether we equip and release people or not. It determines how we host his presence. In many ways, it determines the health of the church. Much of the hurt people have experienced in the church, and to be honest, maybe even some of us here today, often comes from poor leadership models, poor leadership action. Often people with great hearts, people who love Jesus, but who are trying to minister in a model or a structure that breeds insecurity on one hand or control on the other hand, or that limits the church from being who God's made it to be. Many churches have imported a business model into church. And I love that with the, everything that Dave said, this is nothing about marketplace ministry. We should be those who minister in the marketplace. But we don't let the marketplace determine how we lead in the church. We've imported business models into the church. You might think, that doesn't really matter. But can I say, it absolutely matters because the church is not a business. The church is the ecclesia, the called out community, the gathering of believers. The Bible describes the church as the bride. The temple, the body of Jesus. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever talk about a business or an organization. But we wonder, when we, we wonder why when we try to lead the church, the body, the temple, the, the bride of Christ, and run it like a business or an organization, that, people, that, that things don't work and people end up getting hurt. Many of you, uh, I'm going to use some, some images to help illustrate. Many of you have seen these before. I'm sure many of you in the room have actually used them to preach before. But I'm going to use them anyways. And I pray that if you, if you have experienced pain 
in any of these models that today Jesus would minister healing to you. The first model, these triangles, okay? If you, if you see, if you know, you know. First model that we often see in church leadership is that the church is hierarchical in its leadership. The church exists to serve the leader or the pastor. The senior pastor is often top of the pyramid, like a CEO or a business executive. Often very much run like a business. Can be built in this model around a personality. It lends itself to celebrity pastor, to naturally gifted leaders. It's about climbing a ladder of leadership and often leadership is given to the most gifted, not necessarily the called. The problem with this model is that it almost inevitably or very often ends up being controlling. It becomes more about a leader's ministry or a brand than equipping saints to minister for the kingdom. Often the leader doesn't want to release other strong, gifted, called leaders because they might be better than him and then they might lose their position. The second model we see often in church history, go to the next slide, please, is a congregational model of leadership. It's almost the exact opposite to the hierarchical model of leadership. This model, the pastor the leader is at the bottom, and they exist to serve the church. That's not unbiblical, because we all should be servant leaders. But in this model, the church is run often by the congregation, who usually hire or vote in a pastor or pastors to do the preaching and care for the sheep. It's not a priesthood of all believers. It's those who are hired to do the work so that everyone else can just be comfortable. The pastor ends up being the one who does the ministry. The actual leaders in this, in this model are the influential power brokers in the church. The problem with this model is that it tends to breed massive insecurity in leaders because they can be voted out or fired as easy as they are voted in or hired. This model often lends itself toward maintaining rather than advancing because it's very difficult to bring about change and transformation if when people are challenged or called up to more, they can vote you out. So it's often easier to change the leader than to change our hearts. It's often easier in this model to change the leader than to change our hearts. This model, the, 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 this model we see it historically in church Leaders usually moved around to different congregations at regular intervals, five years, seven years, which reinforces, again, the, the power base of the influential in the church. In reaction to these two models, more recently, we've seen the model of no leadership. There's not really a great way to um, illustrate that. We have the next slide. So um, when it comes up, that's, uh, that's the best I had. I don't, it's not just a line, just flat line. It's, it's in reaction because neither of those models are great and we see the, it's either, it's either insecurity or it's control. And so we go, well, that's not good. It's not producing something good. So we go with no leadership. Well, then we shouldn't have leadership at all. 
because of hurt or control or insecurity, we get rid of leaders altogether. We move away from any kind of organized church. We see this often in missional communities, house churches. With no leadership, these groups very rarely have meaningful impact. Unless somebody begins to lead, and then it's not this model anymore. But you all, I mean, inevitably, and in my, my 14 years of leading a church and many years before that of being in leadership, I've seen a lot of this model come and go. Within 18 months to three years, either someone starts leading and it stops being this model, or the thing disintegrates because there's no impact. And they go, well, what are we doing? But what if there's a better way? What if rather than imposing culture or a business model on the church, what if we let the Bible describe how the church should be led? What if we let the church, being the, let the church be the influencing factor in our culture like we've been talking about this week? That's what Dave was talking about yesterday, that the church would be the influencing factor in the marketplace, not the marketplace be the influencing factor in the church. Fourth model is kingdom leadership. Now, I know this isn't the ideal um, uh, illustration, but we're sticking with triangles. Someone said, oh, I don't like the triangle because you put it on the side and there's still somebody at the front. Let's assume that there's a team at the front and not just one person, okay? Just for the sake of, of illustrations. But in this model, nobody's at the top. Nobody's at the bottom. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. We don't make disciples of ourselves. We make disciples of Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate him. Or follow me as I follow him. In this model, leaders are not above or below anyone else. They're simply those who are called by God to be at the front. To stand in front, to pursue Jesus with all that they are, to be a kingdom people and to say, come with me as we pursue Jesus and become like him and be a kingdom people. It's Jesus who is the head of the church and we follow him, not a man or a woman even a team or a ministry. We follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a kingdom people. Elders in this model are those who are called by God to stand in front of lead because, and to lead because we're going somewhere. We don't just make camp and stay. We're going somewhere. We're taking ground. We're going to the nations. We're going to new regions. We're pursuing the lost. We're seeing the kingdom advance. So elders or leaders are those who are called to say, come with me because we're going somewhere. We call others to come with us. Deacons are those who oversee areas of ministry. We see it in the, in the Bible. So that others can come with us and become more like Jesus. So that we can minister effectively. Not to do all the ministry. Deacons are not the ministry people. Hear this church and tell your church, every single one of you is called to ministry. Why do we have elders and deacons? To release ministry. There's got to be order. We say this is where we're going, but it's not to do the ministry. We run after Jesus together. Leaders equip and release others to be all that God's called them to be. It's not about a ministry or a pastor or a brand. It's about Jesus. 
It's about pursuing him. It's about becoming more like him. It's about making disciples of him. In this model, we don't need titles to prove our position. We don't need titles to prove my position because I'm not better than or over you. I'm pursuing Jesus. I say to my church, just call me Matt. Good preach, pastor. Just call me Matt. I'm not even a pastor. That's like the least of my gifts. I can be pastoral, but to be honest, of all the gifts, the pastoral one is one I have to work on. My dad, he is a great pastor. But I am not. Please don't call me pastor, just call me Matt. Don't call me Elder Matt. Don't call me Bishop Matt, Apostle Matt, whatever. Even Paul himself says, I'm apostle, I am an apostle to some, and to others I'm not. Yes, there's biblical qualifications for those who would lead. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. But within those qualifications, leadership is about calling, not about popularity or celebrity or control. We're servant leaders who call us all to more. We lead by example, not through control. We lead as a team, not as a hierarchy. At Melbourne, at Melbourne Lights, Elodie and I in, the, in this season have the privilege of leading the team that leads the church. So we fall into language like, it, you know, we lead the church. Or it's our church. It's not our church. It's Jesus' church. We don't lead the church. The team leads the church, and we get the privilege in this season of leading the team. We're not the senior pastors. We're actually the youngest people on the team. It's not even about age. Sorry, Leanna's younger. I apologize. <laughs> Honestly, I go to all the pastors' meetings, and they're like, oh, so you're the youth pastor. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I am 40, just so you know. If your youth pastor's 40, you might be struggling. Can I say this, and at the risk of um, getting in trouble, we're not even the visionary elders. Because actually, it's not for me to get vision and everyone else to do it. We lead as a team. Plurality of elders who hear God together, like Revelations 2.29. Together, we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. On the panel yesterday, Tyron said this, nobody lays down their vision for anyone else's vision. We all lay down our vision for God's vision. We have to hear what God's saying, which means you need to be careful when you're releasing elders because if they can't hear what God's saying, then they're disqualified from eldering. You have to be careful in releasing elders because if they can't hear what God's saying, then they're disqualified from eldering. We have to hear the voice of God because together we want to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. You might say, but Matt, that's just semantics. Who cares? It doesn't really matter. I would say it absolutely matters because everything in our culture pushes us toward hierarchy. Everything around us pushes us toward hierarchy, and we have to do everything we can continually to tear down hierarchy within the church. We cannot let it 
rise up again because it will destroy us, it will destroy teams, and it leads a trail of hurt and burnt out saints. To be the church that Jesus is building, a kingdom people that pursue him, we have to build according to the pattern that he's given us. We see these amazing detailed plans for the temple in the Old Testament. You think, why do they give you the weights and the measurements and all this stuff? We're not going to build it again. Why is it all there? Because the details matter to God. And when they built according to his plan, in 2 Chronicles 5 and 2 Chronicles 7, it says the weight of his glory came upon the temple so that the priests could not even stand to do their duties. They couldn't stand to minister before and the fire of God came and they were undone. That's the cry of our hearts. Lord, let your glory come in such weightiness upon us that we're undone. When we build according to his pattern, including in leadership, his glory comes. We host his presence well. It's so that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. It's so that those who have been hurt through other models can be healed. It's not this is, that, you know, we have a better thing coming so that healing can come. People can be set free so that they can, we can all minister together. We don't want to perpetuate the same problems over and over again. We want to bring freedom to those who have been hurt. We don't want to leave a trail of burnt out, hurt, disillusioned saints and leaders. If that's a mark of our ministry, maybe we need to look again at how we're leading and what we're permitting. We have to constantly pull down hierarchical thinking in the church and in our ideas of leadership. We don't have time this morning to go into, like, what does that look like? But unpack that with your team. It's not for me to tell you what that looks like in your context. Go with your team and unpack that. And if you don't have a team, ask some of the guys that are on this NCMI team to help you unpack what does that look like. Often what happens is with a good heart and good intentions, we set out to try and lead this way. Because of hurt and disappointment, being let down and not just, just not knowing a better way. Sometimes we revert back to unhelpful ways of leading. Sometimes we set out to build in team and not hierarchically, but then, honestly, in church we get hurt and we get disappointed and we get let down and people leave and don't ever tell us and all the stuff that goes on. And if you're leading in church, you know that, and if you're not, pray for your leaders because they know it. And because of that, we often revert to things to protect ourselves. And I understand it. We revert to control out of our insecurity. We revert to hierarchy because actually it's a little bit easier to keep a distance. But God has a better way. And if that's you, the Lord wants to heal you today. Because you can't lead with a broken heart. Can I say this? For those who aren't in leadership... If you've been desiring leadership because you viewed it as a hierarchy or a position or a ladder to climb, let God change your heart today. And if you've shunned leadership because you've seen the hurt or the control or the insecurity 
or the lack of impact in some of these models. Allow God to heal your heart and bring freedom today. I love to see the sons and daughters of those that are leading coming and being a part of what we're doing. But so often, they, they hate the church and they run away because they've seen the hurt that their parents have gone through. It's time to be healed so we can lead a better way, that we can host the presence of God well, that we can release people. We don't want a revival that just stops with us. We want it to, be, to flow beyond us. We want it to, go, we want it to be multi-generations. We want the impact of the kingdom and of the churches that are represented here today to go beyond us to the third, fourth, tenth generation. I want to hear of G- I want to be in heaven looking at GGC Life Church in a hundred years' time with the, with Leo and Christine's grandkids' grandkids still loving Jesus and pursuing Him because they're not burnt out and disillusioned and let down because of poor leadership things. Would you stand with me? I feel like God wants to bring healing today. I've got two minutes left, and I want to pray for us. He wants to restore. I see a repotting today of some. You may maybe have been in a model or a structure and you've gone, I, I, I know there's a better way, but I don't know how to, how to change. God wants to repot you today. I feel like there's leaders here today. And because of hurt and disappointment, you've reverted to a model of hierarchy, possibly even control. And I believe God wants to bring healing to you today. If you need to respond to him, I ask, would you lift your hands? Would you be bold enough, if you're feeling hurt, to lift your hands? I think we have to have radical response. That requires a response on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. I think there's more. I think there's more. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a better way. Lord, we want to be a people who host your presence well, who lead well who see the weight of your glory rest upon us. And I pray this morning, Lord, for those that have felt hurt or disillusioned, Lord, and they've, we've reverted to something of control or a model that is unhelpful for the kingdom, would healing come right now in Jesus' name? Release your healing. Release restoration right now. Lord, where we've kept people at an arm's length, Lord, I pray, help heal our hearts. Help us trust again. Help us love again. Lord, I pray for a restoring of that which the enemy has tried to steal and to rob. A restoring. Lord, help us to be a people who tear down hierarchy at every level. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. You are the king. We don't have little church kingdoms with little pastor kings. Let us pursue you. With all that we are, we bless you, Lord. Amen.